Hey, this is Beauty Wolf, and this is Orange Juice for the Ears on Dub Lab. And this morning, it's wonderful to welcome someone who's been called the guru of audio branding for creating one of the most famous signatures of all time, the five-note, three-second Intel bong, which is supposedly heard somewhere in the world every five minutes. In addition to this, Austrian composer, or as he would say, sound inventor, Walter Wazowa has composed music for films as varied as the J.T. Leroy story through to Minority Report, worked with directors from Spielberg to Vendors, and went on to found Health Tunes, which is what we're really going to focus on today, a non-profit streaming platform which pairs sound music with evidence-based clinical research after his son Luca was diagnosed with a rare bone syndrome and he found Western medicine unable to offer answers. So, Walter, it is wonderful to have you here. Beatty, thanks for inviting me. It's so good to see you again. And that opening track, which was Daniel Johnston, True Love Will Find You in the End, uh, that made me think of you because you've also worked on the, on the documentary. Yeah, this brings so, so great memory back. It's like we spending a week with Daniel Johnston at Sundance. It was just incredible. He's such a genius and genius in the sense that he has this one day where he's the most amazing, amazing performer, musician. The next day he forgot his music and it's just going from left to right. And when he is in that zone, it's just so powerful and so simple. I, I admire him and I have to say I envy him. He's incredible. Well, it is really wonderful to have you, mainly because, um, well, firstly, you're a friend, an amazing person, but also, um, you know, since I learned about your work and specifically the Health Tunes chapter, um, when we were doing the, the LA Times event together, I think about a year ago, around a year ago, like this time last year, um, with Stanford and talking about the power of music and me coming from the music dementia, Alzheimer's side with the work I've done and you coming, well, from every side because Health Tunes is really for every every condition under the sun. Is that right? Yeah, we're trying to be full encompassing and, and realizing music can help anywhere, everywhere, anytime. It's... I think one of the strongest modalities out there and it's available to all of us. And that's why we're listening to so much music and self-medicators. So I don't really need to tell you about Oliver Sacks. Um, you know, uh, most people know of his work now, but, um, you know, the idea of this show, Orange Juice for the Years, was taken from, you know, firstly, my love of Sacks and what he's done and what he's mm. contributed but also a line from Musicophilia, which is music can lift us out of a depression or move us to tears. It is a remedy, a tonic, an orange juice for the ears. And obviously it, it actually is much more than that, you know, in a lot of instances. But I'd just like to ask, what does that quote specifically mean to you? Um, music 
and uh, first of all, Oliver Sacks was just this incredible, well-read person who seemed to know it all, but also experienced it all. And I think he tapped into knowledge, into the brain and into the gut and could bring it together. And he was one of the first who brought his worlds together where emotion and intellect is almost on one level and he's bringing it together. And I think this is where music comes in. It, it, it helps to make us resonate with parts we might not have discovered in ourselves and to start blooming in ourselves. And if this might be tears, if this might be laughter. And I just re read this report. It's like it's new, new study. Um, why do you think do we like to listen to sad music when we are depressed or down? And because it doesn't make any sense. You would think if I'm sad, if I'm depressed, I want to listen to some fun, happy music to get me out of it. But we tend to listen to something which is melancholic for you. And it's different. It might be different for Nick or Beatty. Or, um, we all have different tastes. And those researchers found out when we listen to sad music, prolactin is um, um, produced in our brains. Prolactin is a hormone which basically overcomes trauma. And mothers, when they breastfeed, produce a lot of it because birthing is the toughest things and we men can't do it. And <laughs> it's like power to the women that you can go through this. At the moment, I don't think that any mom would say, I want to have another baby. But two weeks later, probably due to prolactin, they say, it, it was okay. I can have another one. And I think it's similar when we now listen to melancholic music and have prolactin in our brains, we easier overcome whatever trauma we had and see it in a different light. And that's, again, music. It's fascinating. I think it's, I think the thing that we realize is almost the more we learn, the more we realize we know so little. Um, it, you know, the impact just keeps on going deeper and deeper and in so many different ways and on so many different levels. Um, so just talking about Walter and um, and where, you know, where your sort of appreciation for music on this level, like where that began, um, I have to ask, what was the, was there a first song that you really remember hearing and it just shook your world? Yeah, there, there, there is one and I, I, I can totally remember it, but I have to lead into that story. I grew up in the 60s and in Vienna, it was very restricted at the time. It was very, 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 very small. And I had a very strict upbringing. My father was a doctor and um, everything was proper. And the only music we listened to, and it was an unwritten law we're allowed to listen to, was classical music so it was all the time and and incredible and also when i started learning piano and so on it was always classical music and since the, it's like we didn't really have sleepovers and parties i wasn't exposed to any pop or rock or contemporary music at the time and shopping centers didn't have any music so it, it was a very different world and when i talked to my son out it's like he can't believe that the you, you you really needed to buy a record or a cassette. And yesterday I showed to Luca a cassette and he said, what is this? 
and you're smiling. It's like an audio cassette. <laughs> we grew up with this. This was our creative output, and also Daniel Johnson's. So, the first ski school ski trip, I'm gone for a week, and it's of course it's like away from the parents. How old were you? This was 13, actually the age of my son now, and um, and and so we're having the first day of skiing and then dinner and then free time people play table tennis and somebody tossed like one shilling or whatever that was in the jukebox and not by city limits came out and i stopped playing it's like i've never heard that it was like if you would see an alien come in but then you know an alien because you've seen them in all those movies it was i really i sat down and it was I couldn't move. It's like I started sweating and people said, what's going on? It's like and this sound and this incredible sweat and sexiness and everything. This song it has so many layers. And then I took all my money and played it over and over the same song till all the students would just start hating me for not per city like 10 times or so till I ran out of money. It was incredible. It was so powerful. Well, I think that is the perfect intro for Nutbush City Limits by Ike and Tina Turner. That was not Bush City Limits. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to say Tina Turner and Ike. I'm not going to say Ike and Tina Turner. Sorry, Ike comes after Tina. Um, and Walter's fainted, so we've had to revive Walter <laughs> with some orange juice that has his face on it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> blown away. It's like, this is a magical day. It's like, not Bush brings me back to that. Staring at my own face on an orange juice. <laughs> Where can I buy this? I mean, you know, no, that's for you only. Those are not for sale. Don't go sell that on eBay, Walter. So, <laughs> um, so that was the track that really mm-hmm. awakened your world. Um, growing up in Vienna, you were born into a family of doctors. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that you described yourself as the black sheep. Yeah. Um, w- was that because mu- was music only appreciated in that in a very strictly classical sense? Yes, and I think it was so. Tr- in in a sense, there was this classical tribe and and the jazz. Like jazz was like really getting big in in Austria as well. And, and the rock and all the other dirty stuff. And I started classical guitar and I, I, I was cheeky and got, like after a year practicing, I, I played for the conservatory and um, for test. And it's like, I really got lucky and it took me, I, I knew one piece of music. And so the first day the professor would say, let's, practice scales and I said I can't play scales and and um, I said, what's going on and and so it was a big surprise that I knew one piece very well it was a Bach piece and but I was put in this one box and I think a year in I had a finger pick like for the electric guitar in my my um, guitar case in the classical guitar case he saw that the teacher and he wanted to expel me oh my gosh. and I 
I have to admit, I lied. I said, I don't know. And I think my brother might have put it in. It's like, it was really rough. Yeah. Was, and I was so scared then to get expelled and denied any rock and roll and electric guitars. On the other hand, I did in the evenings enjoy the the rehearsal rooms and the basements and imagine in Vienna in winter, a basement, it was cold and sometimes even slept in there and you wake up in the morning, you smell like like a garbage can. Um, it was exciting and fearful at the same time. And what was, within all this, what was your relationship with your parents? Like, were they, you know, did they sort of know that you had this different desire? Yeah, I think... I think once they saw how dedicated I was, they totally turned and supported everything. They became the most supportive parents then it, and, and totally accepted it and listened to this music I did. And and I got sometimes a, wow, sounds interesting. And that meant so much. It's like, this was like almost like if I would say, Peter, love that song. This is incredible. And it's it's like, they couldn't show that. It's a different generation. And and um, I think I started to understand them better and read them better and vice versa. So we, we really, through music, we grow together. Mm. And after hearing, you know, Nutbush on the jukebox, was there another way of accessing music? You know, so you'd had that experience and then you went home. And could you find anything else like that? Did that, you know, did that start to change where it was more available? Or was it still very restricted? I did hide it. It's like, and, and so it became a treasure. And I think this was a the part of the big bonding to the music I have. Um, my parents didn't know that I was listening to pop music, I think for another one and a half, two years or so. And I secretly did and, and, and recorded audio cassettes and um, listened to it when I wasn't watched. And, and, and I think that as Weird as it sounds, it it really grabbed me, and and music and I became one, and and it was, it became this other life. Mm. And so, you know, do you think that? Because obviously, I you like you know you're a a, a sound inventor rather than a composer. Um, do you think that was something that you identified with more because? of all the classical heritage and expectations growing up in Vienna and in some ways what it meant to be a composer? See, I I, I still think um, that I'm not a good musician in a sense, like not a good performer. Um, but I think I everything which is lacking in being this great performer developed in having weird ideas and, and seeing the world differently. And when I, I did postgraduate studies at USC film scoring, and I think we were 10 students and we had to write a lot of orchestral scores. And it seems from those 10 students, one nine, which sounded always very similar and great and admired them, John Williams and Goldsmith and that amazing stuff. And one was different. and. Um, some students would say, you, I don't think you will ever make it as a film composer because it's not subscribing to the formula. And again, I think I got lucky. Yeah, I, th- I think you got more than lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and, and and that's something if and life changed drastically but um one student told me at the end of the studies that uh disney was looking for trailer composers and my english was still pretty poor at the time i had no clue what trailers were and um he kind of explained me to to me and and he said send in a tape um with your best work and they might hire you and i didn't take it too serious so i recorded some cow mooing and cowbells and 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 like the 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 alp sounds and wind and and mountain ripples and um then at the very end i said i'm i think i'm a good composer my phone number is whatever it was and the audio cassette and i sent it in and two weeks later disney called and they had hundreds and hundreds of people sending tapes in i guess and and they picked me i think because it it was different so this was the first time i thought maybe it's good to be different <laughs> I think that is such a big learning. I remember doing my um degree at Goldsmiths in the UK mm. that is meant to be like a pretty liberal mm. university and I wanted to write my dissertation this was for literature on Leonard Cohen mm. uh, and looking at the integration between his songwriting and his poetry and I was basically told by the department that it would fail that it was a a, a subject that wouldn't be able to um pass because he was so irrelevant to the literary canon and and all this stuff and this was before he'd gone back on tour but he was still you know he's still an, a poet a songwriter mm-hmm. a novelist um i think one of them said what has he done other than alexandra burks hallelujah <laughs> which point i was like oh god and you know and they really they scared me i was thinking oh i'm not going to get a degree and i didn't really care about that stuff anyway but i didn't want to fail and um but i ended up doing it and i'd read a book by stephen fry about um poetry explaining all the language mm-hmm. and i just did it without much other secondary research and it got the top mark in the year and ended up on Leonard Cohen's desk Whoa. and he and he read it and it was the biggest lesson in actually mm-hmm. doing what you believe in and what mm-hmm. you're excited about and realizing the value in that because otherwise it's just another Joyce essay you know it's mm-hmm. it's just that thing of um it's one of 20 you know mm-hmm. rather than one of one so um I I'm I glad to- you did <laughs> yeah I'm sure this was an amazing lesson for your life to really it absolutely was um and then funnily enough I ended up in the anechoic chamber mm-hmm. bell labs with Stephen Fry who'd written the book yeah giving a private performance to him totally randomly. And I thought, like, this is just magic, you know, mm-hmm. that serendipity. Fantastic. Um, but going back to teenage Walter, who was uh, uncommunicative, mm-hmm. uh, except through music and, as you said, quite sort of internal, was there a, was there a record that really brought you out of yourself? Yes, Definitely. Um, it was Pink Floyd, and we listened to it in the rehearsal room so many times. Um, it must have been a million times till you couldn't play the record anymore, you had to buy a new one. And it was just so, such an amazing call into another world. And initially, I didn't understand the lyrics at all, and I have to admit, 
and like and I hope you won't look down at me now because Leon Cohen is a master of poetry and I heard that he would sit days and days to find that one word. I I think like even like like a bird on a wire, it's like I would know the melody, the chords and everything, but I had no clue what he was singing about. <laughs> I think beats. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I love that it's like I it's like every like I could correct that white book the Beatles book what might be not written correctly musically but the lyrics were always the sound is important of it but the meaning was never important then I realized that um, Wish You Were Here which I just love and shine on was all about that band member they lost about Sid Barrett and, and this tragic story about that he lost it but inspired it and it's just such a beautiful thing that the band of those guys is basically writing this incredible homage to their lost friend. It's so powerful. Let's take a listen to Pink Floyd and Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Remember when you were young <laughs> You shone like the sun This is BT Wolf. You're listening to Orange Juice for the Ears, and we're here with Walter Wazoa. And we were just listening to Shine On You Crazy Diamond, Pink Floyd from Wish You Were Here. We couldn't listen to all of it because, <laughs> because part one or part one to five is 13 minutes, um, and the second half is another 13 minutes. But um, you were saying that that was a record that really sort of transformed you, and yeah. you'd listen to it in the in the rehearsal rooms yeah. was that at the where was that when you were at performing arts the university of music and performing arts or yes and and i learned how to keep it secret and um we just loved playing music and there was no real not much live performances but we just met every evening and all the weekends and jammed and played and composed and listened to music and looked at the lava lamps and <laughs> everything. It was just incredible. It's like I, when you just played it, I f <laughs> it took me back in that time. It was incredible. This was your secret rock club, mm, rock yeah, appreciation yeah. Yes. club. <laughs> I'm so curious, but how would you, would you, so you could go and buy, you, you could go and buy this on a record or, even though it was, because you were talking about it being yeah. restricted, yeah. but I, there were ways of buying. Yes, I, I, I could buy the record and I bought the record, recorded to a audio cassette in the beginning, later on, mm. it's like it was just totally fine. And we laughed about it. And because the cassette was small and I could hide oh, it, the record it. I gave to friends. And so I met, like, especially the bass player in our band, he had like very liberal parents and and um, and the record players and I recorded the records there. I said, hey, this is for you and I would like to record the cassette. And he was one, he was, and of course, I couldn't tell anybody that I'm not allowed to listen to rock music at home. It was embarrassing. And um, he was wondering and I had the cassette at home and nobody knew. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Later on, we laughed about it. And I talked to my parents and said, oh, God, why didn't you tell us? And it's like, oh, now you're telling me. 
It's not the worst secret to have, Walter. It's fine. <laughs> it's not like you were keeping, you know, bodies under the under the floorboards. Um, <laughs> Maybe I found a secret. <laughs> um, but the thing I noticed about that, I mean, I haven't listened to to that to wish you were here in in ages, and that's actually the wonderful thing about this show is I get to absorb the music of some of my favorite people and often it's some of my favorite music um but you know that record it being this whole story as we were talking about and you know it it was sort of every track was part of telling this Mm -hmm. story and you couldn't it wasn't like you could skip from one to the other it was like it was a whole experience and Mm -hmm. and i feel that that you know that story aspect the the tangibility of records, the ceremony of listening, like that was something that for me was so fundamental to the music really going in and imprinting and staying with you and being something that you could recall at any point in your life that had shaped you in some way, Um, which I also think is actually interconnected with a lot of what Oliver Sacks talks about. And I do wonder what's being lost today when everything is, is intangible. Um, but just looking at, you know, Pink Floyd and you, you know, that whole, for me, Pink Floyd was really also this band that was pioneering in sound design, you know, as much as, as anything else. And considering what you've done and, you know, we'll, we'll go into that more. Um, was there something that struck a chord in terms of then how you thought about sound? It's a, honestly, it's just so kind that you're bringing that up. I, Dark Side of the Moon and Money and like all these tracks had so many sound effects in there and maybe those thousands of hours of Pink Floyd <laughs> inspired me to do that. I never thought about it. That's interesting. Um, yeah, that music is very sound designy and, and brings everything in there. It's like those machines and voice clips and subliminal messages i'm sure that had an impact well and even with with the intel bong which i'm sure mm. you've talked about <laughs> way like to death because everyone's fascinated by it but um you know it's so simple and it's so it's i mean it's just genius and you know on so many levels and i hadn't actually appreciated that it's five notes instead of four and the first is the palate cleanser mm-hmm. um you know was that something that you were aware at the time of the the impact it would have not at all um i and intel knows i didn't really know what intel was at the time when i started the job um and also the world didn't know it's a product nobody has seen at the time nobody could touch and if you would touch it it breaks so writing some music for a product you don't see and you only know the effects of was interesting but the only suggestion i would have anybody who is in audio branding audio branding is not about composing it is really about trying to tell a story with a couple of notes and any of those mnemonics we've created over the last decades really it they have an elevator pitch like a little story why are those four notes the four notes for that um company and only for that company and um for intel it it was that story it's about engineering so it's very precise 
it should be a rhythm like um, just eight notes not syncopated it's not fun uh, it's orderly and they want it to be accessible worldwide in any genre and there are only a couple of intervals worldwide which are clear and powerful and it's the fourth and the fifth and um and they want to be of course upwards leaping and it was called as the leap campaign so basically the story was two upwards leaps the fourth and the fifth and those powerful intervals and um straight rhythm it was very clear when i told them the story about it they haven't heard the note this should be okay i think those are the notes how does it sound they heard it said okay fine great and that was it perfect <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because next week I'm talking to Robert Wilson, who, um, won the Nobel prize for mm -hmm. discovering cosmic background radiation, mm -hmm. um, using the horn antenna. And he had no idea what was going on. He didn't realize it was this breakthrough. He thought it was interference and he thought it was an error. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting how often something that could turn out to be this great success, you have no awareness of in the moment of creation or discovery. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to move on to health tunes because, and I know by this point, you know, you've moved to LA, you went to USC, worked for Disney, you founded the company Music V. I can't pronounce the second <laughs> half of that, um, which is a translation of the pleasure of music. Um, and, you know, I know Health Tunes is still relatively new. It was, mm -hmm. what, 2000 and... It's like three years, not three and a half years old and still growing. <laughs> so before we get into that and how you kind of ended up going into that area um i'd like to ask what would be the music that you would send into space um either because it is the best representation of humanity or it's the best communicator of something of love of you know uh connection saying hey we're actually not that terrible over here um you know is there a piece of music that you identify with the cosmos that brings me back to my childhood and um, to my upbringing. And I, I deem Mozart's Requiem as a piece which transcends space and time. And, and um, I would think that that energy out there, whatever you want to call it, godly energy or higher energy, will totally understand that. They might not understand our words, but they will understand that emotion, that power of a work like this. And um, it's such such a powerful thing. And I would like to send it out. And if they, the universe doesn't know it yet, that they enjoy it and maybe cry along with it. Well, let's take a listen to Mozart's Requiem and the sequence Lacrimosa. That was Mozart's Requiem and Lacrimosa. And that was Walter Wozoa's choice uh, for sending into space as he relates that to God energy, as you said. Um, and that was actually um, Herbert von 
Karajan, yeah. And the Vienna Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. And you are in some ways connected with him. Yes, uh, through Matthias Röder, who is the GM of the Karajan Foundation, who is this super smart and lovely person who is building uh, algorithms to analyze music and also since Karian was so much into health and music and how music can help us, our physiology. Tell us about the heartbeat story. Oh, so Karian was like a wild man and he was a pilot. And there's one maneuver when you land your little prop plane and, and so you touch barely uh, the railway with, with the wheels and then you start again to take off this can go wrong and so pilots will know this is dangerous and it sounds very dangerous to me and he did that while listening to music and being on heart monitors seeing if the music could calm his heart rate down because obviously it would go up in these maneuvers and trying to find which music works best with his heart and um, there's great research out there and now there's the professor Francoise Haas she's at NYU telling us how our hearts get entrained with the music. And, um, and the easiest way is you can tell your heart to beat fast or slower. It's like in a romantic moment, of course, it will go up, but you can't really control it. So one trick is to regulate the respiratory functions, the breathing. And there's this Beethoven Seventh Symphony Second Movement, this wonderful one-note melody. And... She said, when you tap along in this bum, tum, 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 very slow movement, tap on your body, you're, you have an auditory impulse and a motoric impulse. And when they cross in your brain, your whole autonomous um, nerve system starts in training with that rhythm and your heart rate goes to your resting heart rate, which is important. It's not dictating it's 60 or 70 or whatever, you feel your own healthiness and physiology. And I think that's a perfect way to now talk about health tunes mm -hmm. and you know, what led you to found that company? Um, I got lucky in my life, many things, and, and I want to give back. That was one thing. Um, as already mentioned, Luca, my son, had a symptom like Pertes, which we really attribute the healing and health, the fast healing to sound and, and, and music. So all that together and um, also like the, the master's um, thesis for psychology, all these impulses like led me to found health tunes. And Health Tunes is a free nonprofit. Anybody can log in and log on um, and find music for their symptoms and syndromes. And, and, um, and you just need to dial in the genre you like because it's very important that you listen to the music you like. And so there's jazz and classic and folk and even 80s music on there. Um, Quite often the music is the vehicle to bring banal beats into your system and they're the healing quality. And um, it's super successful from Alzheimer's to oncology and 
in NICU and I've seen doctors and parents cry next to the newborns when they see how powerful, how quickly powerful this is without any side effects, that you can bring the heart rate of a baby, of a newborn, which is 180, in two minutes to 145, which is their resting heart rate. Were you aware of music's power in this way as medicine, as something that can heal, that can restore, that can reconnect um, before, you know, Luca was diagnosed with that condition? To be honest, no, I wasn't. So that awakened yeah. that interest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I'm, every other week I'm mesmerized to learn something new and, and the community is incredible. There's so much research out there and, um, and you're a part of this as well. It's like I loved when you talked about um, what you're doing and how powerful it is in dementia. And, and, and it's so great to see so many people working on this. And Well, and it's lovely when people are working on it with the intention of actually connecting the dots, you know, and realizing that music often just equals thumbs up, you know, mm -hmm. rather than it being prescriptive rather than it having to be this way or that way yeah. and a big part of the work that I was doing with music and and Alzheimer's and dementia um, was actually showing that the music didn't have to be familiar as mm -hmm. traditionally believed which was something Oliver Sacks had theorized but not mm -hmm. tested but it could be as effective even removing the memory component you know yeah. playing new songs and watching someone who was catatonic getting up and dancing or someone who was nonverbal singing along to music they never heard. Um, so that's almost what I keep on going back to in, in that realization that I just think the more we think we know, the more we don't um, when it comes to music and the brain, because it, it goes incredibly deep, you know, and in many different instances and not even just, with neurological conditions, but with, you know, with just basic stuff. Um, and with, you know, with Luca, it was also because you, you found Western medicine to be limited. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you spent a year of just what sound healing and, uh, it, it was a strict diet, like cutting out sugar and gluten which um, I wish we would still do, but it's really hard to follow through, especially in Los Angeles and, um, and osteopathy and acupuncture. And all that together was an amazing mixture, like that after year it was running around again and it's healed and done and dandy. And, and um, he's a wild boy and jumping of balconies and is still fine. So it's, it's really miraculous. And um, so it's him and the music who really helped that that healing. And so the music I can share with the world now, and I'm glad that it's possible. So, Walter, imagining the very sad day when you cease to be. <laughs> this is the morbid part of the show. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> we're confronting everything. Orange yeah. Juice for the Years, mm -hmm. 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Dub Lab, everything from death to um to awakenings mm -hmm. so um i have to ask you know what would have you ever thought about the music you would like to transcend into another dimension with 
It's, I, I, when you ask this question, I'm, I'm thinking more of the crowd there because I think once I'm in that box um, that I'm actually somewhere else and looking at the people, looking at the box, and um, I would like for them to be joyous. So on one hand, <laughs> maybe not Bush, but on the other hand, twinkle twinkle stars like something which make them laugh and wonder and 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 ask questions and and not get stuck in sadness it made me laugh it made me wonder <laughs> it, it made me ask questions i can die peacefully now <laughs> and i and i was really confused i was like he must mean something else but no twinkle twinkle little star um and this i chose I, you were very kind in giving me the the uh, option of choosing which version we listen to. So this is Willie Nelson's Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, something that you probably didn't realize that he did. That was Willie Nelson and <laughs> Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And that was Walter Wazoa's um, song that he wants at his memorial funeral so that everyone can have a good old hoedown. Makes me feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> a song you guys never thought that you needed to hear, but you did. Um, so we've been today chatting with uh, Walter Wazoa, amazing um, composer, sound inventor um, and founder of Health Tunes amongst many other companies. Um, and we've been just, you know, sharing the music that he feels was most meaningful to him throughout his life. Um, so we're kind of getting to the end of the show, Walter, and I, I don't want it to end, but it has to. <laughs> and, um, and, and it, but it hasn't ended with your death, with your symbolic death. So there's still one, one more. Um, and that would be the album that you'd like to pass on to your kids. And I know you have three kids and I know they're very different, um, but this is more in some ways symbolic of a record you feel is important and, you know, was important to you and is maybe going to be important to them. I'm, I'm really proud of, and, and the kids, um, kids it's like 25 is not a kid anymore Camille and and Julian and Luca um, really think the same that I could encourage them to question the world and and to love to learn and to search and to uh, find meaning and to read and and that love and education are the highest um, out there and so in that sense Neil Young's harvest and um, Heart of Gold seems to resonate with this, that search for the heart of gold and and that we're always looking forward and it's it's not an event, it's a process that it never ends and look forward, search and find and search again and enjoy the ride. And thinking about your choices today, is there a thread that connects all of them? Is there something that um, a similarity or a quality that they all have? Wow. Um, maybe in all of them I hear magic. And, and music is objective. It's like all of them inspiring and magic and and became part of my DNA. I think they they brought me 
to this chair here to sit in front of you, PT, and to talk about this. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing. I agree. Um, I think it is one of the most powerful things. So on that note, we're going to end um, this conversation today with Walter. Mm. It's been so wonderful. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad you like the orange juice with your face on it. <laughs> so sweet. But most of all, your presence. Thank you for having me here. And everyone should go check out Health mm. Tunes um, and Walter because they're both incredible. Um, and now we're going to listen to Neil Young, Heart of Gold from Harvest. <laughs> 